Lee, um, clinical immunologist and allergist practicing in Toronto, Ontario. Welcome to season three. And on this episode of our podcast, we have Leanne Mandelbaum. Uh, she's been a very vocal and uh, I think very successful advocate for uh, patients with peanut allergies. In particular, she's very involved in uh, some of the recent changes uh, and has been curtailing a lot of the recent uh, problems and issues that people have faced on airplanes and airlines and has tried to uh, effectively change things for the better. So welcome, uh, Leanne. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So um, tell us about some of the uh, work you do and, um, and you know, maybe tell us a little bit about what motivated you to pursue this. Uh, my son, who is now 13, um, has a peanut allergy. And we were waiting to board a flight when he was eight years old. And the people behind us in the departure lounge heard me tell him he couldn't go with his brother and sister into Rocky Mountain Fudge Company because they were making fresh peanut butter fudge that day. And the woman turned around to me. She said, is your son allergic to peanuts? And I said, yes. You know, he has an anaphylactic allergy. She said, well, you better move. We're all going to eat peanuts here. No problem. We're in the departure lounge. I move our luggage across, except her three boys followed us, started throwing peanuts up in the air, crushing them under their feet, taking the dust towards Josh, and then pointing at him and laughing. Was, was this, so it was an intentional kind of almost malicious thing that they were it doing? It was completely intentional. Um, I can't say if the children were malicious. Maybe they didn't understand what an allergy was, but it, it was definitely intentional. And so I walked back over to the mom and I said, are you on the Newark bound flight? And she said, I am. So then I walked over to the United desk and I said, I just would like you to make an announcement when we get on the plane that there's a child in row eight that has an anaphylactic peanut allergy. And she said, well, I have to ask the crew. And I'm thinking, it's not a big deal. They've always done it for me before, but I'm feeling a little more anxious about it since there's these children who could walk past us on the plane and throw, it, throw a nut at him. And so um, she came back to me and she said, well, this, this crew doesn't want to do it. And I said, well, can you tell me why? And she said, no, I don't have to tell you why. And they don't want to do it. I said, well, can I talk to them? No, you can't talk to them. So then I stood on the customer service issue line and I got to the top and they said, we're sorry, ma'am, this isn't a customer service issue. And I'm like, this isn't one. What is one? And mm-hmm. I went to the chain of command at Denver Airport, and the last manager looked at me and looked at Josh, who's now eight, and he says, well, if you think he's going to die, just don't get on the plane, at which point Josh became hysterical. And he had never been scared of his allergy. He, he had never been frightened. He had never cried over it. And I have never been in a situation where I felt completely helpless. There was no remedy. There are no federal laws. There are still no federal laws. Airlines are consistently inconsistent when they deal with food allergy passengers, which I found out because before I had had the announcement. And so that is my mission is to change that. We didn't get on that plane. And I said they hadn't heard the last of me. And five years later, they haven't heard the last of me. (laughs) (laughs) So when when was this? This was five years ago? This is five years ago. Yeah. Oh wow! It's it, you know it's amazing to think that the uh, the awareness was so low. Uh, certainly, food allergy bullying is is a real thing. Uh, but five years ago, I would have thought that there would be a little bit more support, um, especially with the airline. Um, oh, no. <laughs> wow! Yeah, just you know, five years ago is pretty recent. Um, so the Department of Transportation considers a severe food allergy a disability under okay. the uh, yeah okay. Air Carry Access Act. Well, that came about because of one of my testimonials. So I was at a food allergy bloggers conference 
Mm -hmm. organized by Jenny Sprague, and I was having a conversation in the hallway with disability rights attorney Mary Vargas, who's a food allergy mom, and I said to her, I am noticing on my website when I collect testimonials that there is an uptick in stories on American Airlines, that they are denying passengers the right to pre-board, who disclose they have a food allergy. And she looked at me and she said, that's a violation of the Air Carrier Access Act, and we can do something about this one. She mm -hmm. said, send them to me. And I did. I sent her every single one. And the McKenzie one, which is the one that was in the New York Times this week, um, mm -hmm. that's the one that defined food allergy as a disability. And what's wonderful about that case is that the child had a multiple food allergy, has multiple food allergies. So it, it's not just nut allergies and peanut allergies. It's a food yeah. allergy. You have a food allergy. You have the right to get on board early and to make your seating area safe under the Air Carrier Access Act. And so that is now in black and white because I've been working at this for five years and I've been in various airline disability group um, forums and they have, they have really told me that it's been very gray. Is food allergy a disability under the Air Carrier Access Act? We're not sure. It is under the ADA, but we're not so sure. Now we're sure. This gives us legal legs to stand on and literally it has changed the entire landscape for the food allergy flyer because it's not yeah, just yeah. the U.S. airlines. So any airline you board from the U.S., if they deny you pre-boarding, is violating this federal law. So yeah, it's, it's a pretty powerful change that you've uh, been able to accomplish. That's uh, that's amazing. Um, yeah, you would think it would be such a simple thing to allow pre-boarding so that you can make sure the safe uh, space is safe, to wipe down surfaces. You know, I, I do see patients who actually you know, using an ATM even, and there was some residue, accidentally put it in their mouth, and, you know, sure enough, they had anaphylaxis. Their only food allergy was peanuts, so, you know, there may be some residue on uh, even, you know, benign surfaces that you wouldn't well, even think of. I'm sure you know, Mayo Clinic did a study, I think it was a year and a half ago, I don't know the exact date, but they looked at the amount of peanut residue on airline trays, and there was more peanut airline residue on airline trays than there were in restaurants that shelled peanuts and mm. these on airlines that didn't serve peanuts mm -hmm. so you know there is residue of whatever allergen it is whether it you know whether it's cheese where you're talking about cheetos or pirate booty or something like that Wh whatever the allergen is you need to get on and wipe it away because we cannot control who sat in the seat before us but we can control the risk by cleaning it. We know the airlines aren't cleaning it. They, they, they simply don't have the time. I mean, yes, you'll get the cleanest flight of the day if it's the first flight. But other than that, they're really not clean. How many, how many flights have I taken where, you know, you see the plane come off and 10 minutes later, are they boarding? How on mm -hmm. earth are they Yeah, they're, they're definitely not cleaning. Uh, and if they are cleaning, they're not cleaning thoroughly. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> I don't think it actually does get cleaned very well uh, yeah. in between flights. Um, so you started this uh, No Not Traveler uh, website uh, to curtail some of these stories, right? So I understand you're a writer by uh, training or background? No, I'm a physical therapist, actually. Oh, okay. Wow, okay. And I never wrote anything in my life except uh -huh. I had a discussion on Twitter with someone that was rather okay. heated one okay. Friday night when this first started. Oh, wow, and okay. He said, I said to him, do you think it's okay that someone in the mainstream media Yahoo published a piece that said the top 10 reasons that food allergy, uh, that flying stinks these days, and number like six or whatever it was, was the asshole kids with peanut allergies. 
And it was published on Yahoo. And so I was like on a rant on Twitter saying like, is this, you know, how is this okay in the mainstream media? And this one guy answered me back, it's only okay if you're making fun of celiac too. And I wrote back, well, my son has a peanut allergy and he could die from that. And he goes, my daughter has celiac. I thought you were joking. Go to direct message. So I went to direct message and he said, write me a piece. So I'm Googling him and he turned out to be an editor at Huffington Post. And then he, oh, gave, okay. and he gave me a byline after that. I never wrote before in my life, actually. Oh, and, okay, interesting. I just assumed you were a writer. but well, I've, I've published over 40 pieces now, and I've written for Huffington and for The Mighty and for Allergic Living and for Kevin MD. I, I just, I love it, actually. I love writing, but I, I never did it before. So this oh, was something completely new. And, and, you know, I really started it in frustration with the mainstream media for not covering these kind of food allergy topics. And even now, you know, I think you and I had discussed the young woman from Harvard that mm -hmm. went into anaphylaxis on Southwest a few Southwestern, weeks Southwestern, yeah. I uh, flight back from Chicago, I believe, yeah. How many journalists I have reached out to for that story? And basically the response I have gotten is, she is alive, so we are not interested. You know, mm -hmm. if she had died on the flight, they think that would have been a great story. And so that, that's kind of the impetus that started me writing. I'm like, okay, if if there is no voice for people with food allergies, then I'm going to be the voice. And I'm just going to, I can't tell you how many rejections I had for my writing. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's just been persistence and it paid off. You know, one of the things that really struck me about that particular story, and, you know, sometimes this happens, uh, this happened to a few of my patients as well, is an in-flight anaphylaxis. Um, like, you know, patients, there's almost like a social stigma that they feel like they have to go to the bathroom to administer yes. the EpiPen. Yes. Um, it, it seems, you know, like totally ridiculous, honestly, because you, you would never ask, like, someone having a heart attack or a stroke to go to the bathroom. No, to, and you would never aspirin. leave them either the way she got left and, mm -hmm. and tell them to lock the door mm -hmm. and not page a medical professional. I mean, there's so many things that was wrong with that story. But, you know, you look at the story of Natasha who died on British Airways after ingesting the sesame. And there's a couple of things that highlight to me why this work is so important and why we need to get auto injectors concurrent with training. And, yes, and I want yes. to stress that again, concurrent with training, because actually what keeps me up at night is that, you know, the young doctor who graduated medical school the day before, God bless him for working on her as she's in cardiac arrest, he looked up at the crew members and he said, can I have another vial of epinephrine? Because her father had administered two EpiPens. And oh, they looked wow. at him and they said, we are not qualified to do that. But that's not even the saddest part. The saddest part is British Airways voluntarily carries auto injectors, but because they don't train their crews, nobody knew it was there. So she could have had another auto injector. I don't know if it would have made a difference, but you know, he asked for it. So clearly he thought it was something he could try. And so it does, it's not enough to put them on the planes, although I want them on the planes because right now we have unlabeled vials, only labeled for cardiac use. And, you know, I think Donald Stark, is he, is my remember? He yeah, is he's, he's, he's in Vancouver, yeah. He's an allergist in Vancouver, yeah. He went to use um, a vial on, of epinephrine on a patient in the air, and there was turbulence, and he cut his finger. On mm -hmm. the vial broke. That's like an issue. Then you have the issue of Patricia Leonard from Texas, who was called up for an emergency, she's a pediatric allergist, and this toddler was four, and she needed two doses, and she went home to her adult 
partners who treat adult patients and they said they wouldn't have known the formula for a child. So, so to me, it's just, it's so ridiculous. We have flight attendants who are these highly trained, capable individuals who are all trained on defibrillators. Mm-hmm. That Yeah, defibrillator is way, 10 times harder to use than an yeah. EpiPen. Yes. Yeah. And, and so, you know, why don't we have these on, on planes? Like we have the right tools. So, I mean, I was part of a coalition that went after um, S-1972. It was a bill introduced into the Senate to put auto injectors on planes and it was quashed. And that's yeah, and yeah. a young woman who had anaphylaxis on Southwest. She's trying to revive it. She has over 80,000 signatures tonight on her petition to, uh, yeah. It, so- I, I share your frustration, Leanne. Um, you know, I, I dealt with a similar issue in Toronto, one of our biggest uh, shopping centers. You know, I had multiple meetings with their administration uh, to just talk. Uh, it was actually our version of the AVQ, which is the one that talks to you. We had, right. It was called Allergic in Canada. And, you know, the company was actually uh, willing to supply it for free uh, in perpetuity. But, you know, they were all worried about legality. Our, our people are not trained. Um, and, you know, we kept, we, we, like, you know, myself and the company, we, Sanofi was uh, promoting it at the time. We assured them that there are no contraindications, that this should be in every food court. This should be in every security guards, you know, first aid kit. But uh, for some reason, after multiple meetings, it never happened. Um, so I implore you to keep trying with your initiatives, too, because eventually it, it'll, it'll break through, I believe. Or there'll be a death, and it'll be well publicized in the United States or Canada or wherever it happens. It's, it's so unfortunate that it requires a death. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's, it's so ridiculous and ludicrous in, in a way that it requires someone actually dying from a very preventable, treatable condition. And you're absolutely right with your comment about the vial-based epinephrine for, uh, you know, uh, cardiac purposes. That vial is very easy to break. It's, it comes in a little tiny glass vial. And if you screw it up, which often happens when you're stressed or, or a little bit flustered, uh, I've broken one of those vials uh, just uh, this year, actually, when I was trying to draw up epinephrine in an emergency. So it's very easy to screw up. You, you do need an auto-injector. You know, I don't have a preference, really. Um, so it's one that is kind of fail proof or foolproof. Um, I, I, so. Yes. I mean, my son taught for show and tell when he was in kindergarten, he brought in his avocue at the time and taught his class how to save him. I mean, it's ludicrous to think that we can't train a flight attendant. It is. It is. These companies have like a very, uh, I don't know, litigious, defensive kind of mindset where, where everything is challenging, but a defibrillator, which is you know, much harder to train on is, is not, it, it makes no sense to me, honestly. Um, and, and a lot of this goes back to the education. And I, I try when, I mean, tensions get very high when you start talking um, mm-hmm. sometimes with airline staff. And, you know, it's, it's hard when, you know, you feel it's a, you know, potentially life-threatening situation for your child. But I also urge people to like, you know, try to tone down the conversation, but it's very hard to have it with someone who's not educated. So, you know, I met with a head of a international airline and he was really, really nice, spoke like five languages, like brilliant man. And he's like, Leanne, I want to help you because I understand food allergies because I have hay fever. And he, he, he wasn't, you know, being belittling. This is, he thought food allergies were a runny nose. And Mm -hmm. so, Mm -hmm. you know, you have that. 
you, and, and then you have the staff thinking that epi pens, whatever auto injector you're using, are miracles. And and they're and and thankfully, life threatening situations turning into fatalities are on the rarer end, but they do happen. And when they happen, it often cascades very quickly, as you know. And so up in the air, you can't land. People think you can just say, land the plane. Well, it takes a minimum of 30 minutes, and that's if you're not over water. Mm, no, so definitely. Yeah, and, and it's definitely wrong to go into a tiny uh, bathroom. Uh, you know, the, one of the first things that you want to do in, a, in an anaphylactic shock is lie the patient down and, uh, you know, elevate their limbs to increase that vascular return. So, you know, ideally they'd be actually able to lie down somewhere. Yes, um, and I know why that's not talked about more often. I've talked to Dr. Sampson about that. He was, t it's a, I think it's a Pumphrey study he referred Humphrey, Humphrey, he, re he referred yeah. to Humphreys, and, yeah, 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 and you know, I, I no nobody ever discusses this. Like when I talk to people about it, it's like brand new for them to think to lie down, and and you know, I, I don't know why we're not getting that message out. I know that when Natasha went into her anaphylactic tragedy on British Airways, they got up and walked her to the bathroom before they gave her the epinephrine, and you know. That also sits with me. Like, I really believe, and I've been talking to a variety of doctors in Canada, the United States, and Europe through IAKI about developing an international airline specific action plan that includes. It's a great idea. Because, and Australia has it. They, they, and not only does Australia have it, and do I have a copy of it, and I've been trying to have people model it and working behind the scenes with different groups, they have. EpiPen and EpiPen Juniors on every airline in Australia, on the Australian airlines, right. and they're, all their crew are trained by nurses in the entire mm. country. So how can you say it can't be done? That's when I love it when people tell me, well, you can't do it. I'm like, you can do it. You have to want to do it. I mean, you know. Yeah. So yeah, and the other, other comment uh, you made just before uh, we started recording was, uh, you know, in a, at an allergist visit, there's often not enough time to discuss, uh, you know, travel issues. And you're absolutely right. I, I was just trying to, after you made that remark, I was trying to think back to the time where at an initial consult, when did I ever discuss travel? And, and the answer, to be honest, was actually never. It came up maybe in a follow-up when the patient was traveling, but it never came up during an initial consultation. Because you're right, there is so much education. There is so much that needs to be done. Um, and, uh, you know, there's unfortunately not infinite time for each patient. So you're, you're right. That's a great, uh, that's another issue that you've uh, highlighted as well. I don't know if you want to touch on that at all, Leanne. Yeah, because, because I think that, you know, we don't often know what we can do to make travel a better experience. And again, I, I've seen multiple instances of reactions on airlines that have come from accepting the airline food. And I think we need to pick our battles when it comes to food allergies and flying. And there are a lot of people I pick up on social media getting very angry that they've paid for this ticket and they can't have that airline meal. But in my head, I do a risk reward and no airline meal is ever worth it. You've got to know the staff is not trained on food allergies. They're not trained on cross contamination. And then you've got to think about the recalls that you see every day on the ground. 
So yeah. there's the possibility of a recall and there's a possibility of human error. And so, you know, I've flown internationally successfully with my child and we flew all the way to Israel and back with a stop in Europe and we didn't take one airline meal. And so, and I am a healthy nut type of parent, you know, and you know what? It went out the window for the flight. You know what I did? I bought him the sugar cereal that he loves that he can get <laughs> If we were tucking into a steak dinner, which we weren't on that plane, he wouldn't have cared because he had his cookie crisp. Mm -hmm. And he never gets cookie crisp, you know? So we, and, and we had all sorts of other things, non-perishables in, in our carry-on. So that's one of the other things. Like, you know, you've got to bring on food. You've got to think mm -hmm. about days. You've got to think about pre-boarding and wiping right. the area. Yeah. And you've got to think about not checking that bag because mm -hmm. make sure your medicines are on you. You know, there are a lot of things we can do to make travel more pleasurable and, and safer. Yeah, you, you even, you know, mentioned that the scoop that's used for ice is often the scoop that's used for the nuts uh, when they're serving the nuts. That's, you know, that just uh, boggles the mind, right? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, how little awareness or, or often, even consideration. Flight attendant that was a, is a member of, of my website, and she said that uh, it's something that she sees often. and that Unbelievable. If it's, <laughs> and she has a food allergy kid and she's like, I'd never let them have ice. So, you know, that's one of the things I pass. That's another reason I try to collect these testimonials. Like, so great. So don't take the ice. Do we really need ice in the air? Take a bottle of water or, or have, watch them open up a, a can of soda if that's what you want and pour it in. Or, or you know, you yeah. ask, you could open it up or, or you buy something in the airport instead, you know, a bottle of water, whatever it takes to keep your child safe. Like, plain food, it doesn't matter. It's just, you know, travel is about the destination and the quality time spent with the friends or the family. It's not about that airline meal. That's not gonna make or break your vacation. So I think we have to, as, as allergy passengers, we have to change that mindset. We are, we are not owed a meal. Um, it's not worth it. I, I mean, I, I, just, yeah. I don't even know what the loopholes are if, if they have to label for everything, do they have to label for cross-contamination? If they don't label, you know, how does the flight attendant know? Even if they give you something with a label, how do you know if it's not produced? I want to know, and as you mentioned, uh, recalls happen all the time, too. So, um, yeah, uh, amazing. Um, thank you for coming on. So, Leanne uh, Vandeblom has a website called knownottraveler.com uh, where you can read uh, a lot of these stories and uh, figure out how you can help to... Um, advocate for this issue. Thank you very much, Dan. Thanks, Jason. Pleasure being